What if we told you that whiskey and vodka weren't just for drinking? It's true, Jason and Erica, owners of Distilled Bath & Body, created pit liquor. You heard me right, pit liquor. It's an all-natural deodorant that actually works. Ramona found pit liquor online and now says she's a customer of theirs for life. Pit liquor is wonderful. They save my underarms. No more sweaty, itchy underarms for me. So I definitely love them and will be a customer as long as it keeps the smell, I guess, away. Pit liquor has no harmful chemicals or toxins and doesn't have any ingredients you wouldn't find in grandma's kitchen. I came across pit liquor online on Instagram. I saw an ad advertising no baking soda used in their product. So the difference between pit liquor and other natural deodorant is I do not stink. <laughs> I've tried several, several different brands and either I end up with an itchy rash or it doesn't last. But pit liquor for me lasts all day. Pit liquor's risk-free guarantee should put your mind at ease. Head to pitlicker.com and use the promo code number one fan to save 11% and have it shipped straight to your home. That's hashtag one fan. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> A special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to a brand new edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast. We are presented by In We Go, as always, the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver with promo code BSN50 Friday edition of the show. I have a feeling this is going to be a fun one. Harrison Wynn, Christian Clark here. What a game. <laughs> what a game last night. Denver and Sacramento ekes out the win, 117-113. This game really had everything brilliance from Nikola Jokic, Denver coming back from a deficit in the first half when the Kings were just lights out there over the first two quarters. Jamal Murray, heroics in the second half down the stretch on a bum ankle. I mean, where should we start? Okay, so which of Murray's threes did you like a little bit more? Murray hit two threes in the final one minute and one second of play. He had the step back where I believe he shook – uh, was it Fox or Farrell? I think it was Fox. He shook Fox out of his shoes, basically. A lot of separation on that one and drilled it. And then he comes down in the next possession and then just buries the pull-up uh, to pretty much put the game out of reach. He didn't He didn't hit the free throw on that one, but still, they're both incredible shots. I'll go with the last one, the dagger shot, because you could really tell on that play how much Murray was hurting. He limped into that shot. He limped across half court with the ball, uh, was met by Fox there. And then I don't know why Fox backed off him so much. He went way under the Nikola Jokic screen. And then Jamal Murray just stuck that one and got the end one. Walks back towards half court. He's yelling. 
he's talking his shit. Uh, that was that was a cool moment. I'm gonna go with that one. Yeah, the celebration on that one that one was phenomenal. I thought the step back was pretty sweet. Jamal Murray, that's kind of his go-to move during critical situations. We saw him basically tear Steven Adams' ankles in half last year doing the step back. He got so much step separation on that step back. It was like Luka Doncic levels of, of separation. That was that was one of the better ones I've seen him do, I think. That's what I said on the podcast Thursday with Andre Simone. I don't think I can think of a player who utilizes a step back more right now than Jamal Murray, other than Luka and James Harden, obviously. Those three guys, their go-to move is for sure that step back jumper. And it's funny because we talk about how Jamal Murray has kind of struggled to get separation, especially when he gets big switched out on him and whatnot. He doesn't have that natural shake that the Dame Lillards of the world do, but he's using that step back to his advantage right now. And, and it's uh super deadly. what do you think of how this game started? Because I said to you before we started recording here, I felt like the Kings played an absolutely perfect first half. They blitzed Denver. They came out in the first quarter. They were playing with a really high pace like they like to. Sacramento came into this game playing at the second fastest pace in the league. The Nuggets are the fifth slowest pace team in the league. So it was uh, a real difference in styles of play there. But Sacramento, like I said, they played a perfect first half. They shot over 50% from the field, around 40% from three. They got up and down. Denver still only trailed by 13, though. Like That was as good as the Kings were going to play. So I didn't feel like Denver was necessarily in a bad spot. But again, the first half was nothing to write home about for Denver. The defense, I know Sacramento hit a lot of shots, but the defense still is not where it was at the beginning of the season, still seems to be falling a bit here. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think the Nuggets were going to win this game at halftime. They were, they were within 13, though. That's, that's spitting distance. The Nuggets can close that because they're such a good offensive team fairly easily. I mean, you're right. The Kings did play near-perfect basketball, 27-48 of 48 from the field, and they still grabbed five offensive rebounds. Their effort and execution, I guess, in that first half was was pretty incredible. Bielisa was such a good pickup for them. He had 12 in the first half alone, hit a pair of threes. Um, really, you know, provides them an element of spacing, opens up the lanes for Fox a little bit more, allows Collie Stein to kind of be that, that rim runner and dunker type center. The Kings are fun, man. They, they play super hard. Um, Michael Malone said in pregame that he hopes – Vladi Divac doesn't screw things up for Dave Yeager because he's doing a great job with them. No, I wasn't it that he hopes he didn't say his name, but he was hoping Vivek doesn't screw things up for him. Oh. Isn't that what he was getting at? Because didn't he preface that quote by saying, yeah, Vladi, they've done such a good job here. I hope they don't screw it up for him. Maybe I, maybe I think I he was. Uh, I think he was throwing some shade at ownership rather than uh, the front office. Well, now that you say that, that would uh, make a little bit more sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but no, this Kings team is super fun. I don't know what Iman Shumpert is doing on this team, though. <laughs> uh, they should probably buy him out yesterday. 0 of 7 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3. He killed Sacramento when he was out there. They need our guy Bogey in there uh, at his place at uh, starting small forward or starting shooting guard, whatever way you want to put it. So the Nuggets trail by 13 at the half. Everything changes in the third quarter. I don't know what type of speech Michael Malone gave at halftime. I don't know what Jamal Murray did to his ankles, but he came out looking aggressive, looking like a completely different player. He was, what, 0-2 from the field in the first half? 
He got up that many shots within Denver's first couple possessions of the third quarter, only scored two points in the first half, and he had that personal 8-0 run at the beginning of the third quarter. Denver got to within four, I believe, and then things just kind of took off from there. Did you have a feeling Murray was going to have the type of second half he did when he put together that 8-0 run? Yeah, I mean, at halftime, Murray either drank Mike's special stuff, did 10 minutes in a hyperbaric chamber or both. Um, it, it was just a complete turnaround. I don't know what to expect from Murray. I mean, he, he's he's run so hot and cold throughout his NBA career so far. Um, I mean, he was, he was pretty bad to start the season last year and then really from December on just caught fire. It's it's looks like it's going to be the same story this year from the beginning of the year, only like right. December on. So I wasn't expecting it, but it certainly didn't surprise me. I mean, Murray heats up quicker than almost any player in the league. He's just that sort of streaky shooter, at least at this point in his career. You know, I, I think he was banged up a little bit, too. Like, he was clearly dealing with injuries and dealing with pain. I think a lot of people, I don't know, maybe oversold it a little bit. I'm not questioning Jamal Murray's toughness or anything, but, like, some of the tweets I saw last night were like, they made it sound like Jamal Murray is like fighting in the Civil War and he got bayoneted in the leg and kept going. I don't know, man. He tweaked his ankle in what? The fourth quarter, the third quarter? That looked like a non-contact ankle tweak. That thing looked incredibly painful and he was visibly limping on it for the rest of the game. I'm going to give him a lot of credit. But, I mean, he's shooting the ball really well now on two tweaked ankles, on two ankles that are bothering him. So I don't know how much the injury struggles can be attributed to his shooting struggles at the beginning of the year because he's definitely shooting the ball well right now. I mean, he took over in that second half, 17 points in the third quarter, 17 points in the fourth quarter. When he goes on one of those runs like that, it reminds me of when some of the best players in the league get in that zone. When Steph Curry had that 2015 season, James Harden this year, he did it again last night, but over the past month or so, look, you think back to that season LeBron had in Miami 2012. When Jamal's in one of those zones, he's as good as anybody in the league. He really is. Yeah, I think uh, Nicole Jokic said a couple weeks ago, when he, when he wakes up like that, there's no one that can stop him. And he's totally right. I mean, we saw that in the Celtics game, the early part of the year in the 48-point game. We saw that against the Suns last week when he went for 46. Saw that again Thursday night. You're right. Jamal Murray gets in those zones. He really is unstoppable. You kind of have a sense of when the game is in danger of slipping away from a team. I, I sort of got that feeling when the Kings went up by 15 early in the, the third quarter. The Nuggets' next possession down, they they had a terrible possession. It went to Mason Plumlee in the post, and he kind of misdribbled. Yeah, and like I, just like I said it. on a, a podcast last week, there's still a lot of Mason Plumlee going on. Uh, yeah, a lot of funky-looking <laughs> hook shots, but he was pretty good in this I'm, game. I'm not saying he's playing bad. There's just a lot of Mason Plumlee going on. Yeah, that, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, Sorry, continue. <laughs> and the ball just goes to Murray with like one second left on the shot clock at the top of the key, and he finally gets one to go down, and, and that kind of sparked the run. I don't know if this is like reductive to say, but maybe if that one doesn't go down, we're having a completely different conversation. Like that was that was like a critical moment for the Nuggets, and it's, things started to go their way from there. He was. He's definitely a rhythm guy. He's one of the players in the league that runs the hottest and coldest for sure. That's why I'm not ever sure he's going to be a 40% three point shooter because I just don't know if he's going to be able to put together three to four consecutive months where. He's shooting, you know, above 40% from three. 
he's going to be able to get there maybe in January, maybe in March, but I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that month to month. He's just so streaky. Yeah, that is one thing that I'm curious about as he, as he gets a little bit older. Is he is he just going to be more consistent? Like, is he going to have, you know, string games together where he's just going like three for six and three for seven from three and, you know, instead of going like 0 for four a couple games and then going like nine for 11 like he did against the Suns? Yeah, probably. It will probably come with age, but yeah, right, right now he is so streaky. I mean, this was a special performance from him, and it's what he's done over three of the last four games ever since that clunker he had in San Antonio when he was, what, 1-9 from three, four nineteen from the field, something like that. He's had three games now where he's scored in the 30s and uh, two games in the 40s. This is maybe the best stretch of his career, the best four-game stretch of his career, even though he didn't have a huge scoring night against the Knicks the other day? Uh, it's, I mean, it's certainly been impressive. He's raised his three-point percentage, five percentage points in a matter of four games. On yeah. December 27th, after that terrible game against the Spurs, he was shooting 28.5% from deep. He's raised it to 33.5%, a, a much more respectable mark. He, he pretty much did a similar thing last year, and he, he wound up at 37.8%. I think he's going to finish somewhere in that ballpark this year. I mean, if you had to take the over-under there, what would you go with? 37.8? Yeah. Um, God, that's probably right about what he's going to finish at. I'll say under. I'll say he finishes at 37%. Yeah, I'll probably take the slight under too. But, again, I, I, I really get the feeling this is going to be the second year in a row he was shooting like in the high 20s you know, deep into the winter, and, and then he just goes nuts and finishes in the high 30s. Yeah, and we've talked about his struggles a lot this year. I don't think either of us have ever really panicked or ever really thought he was never going to come around as a three-point shooter this season when he was hovering under 30% really until uh, the last couple weeks stretch here. The Nuggets players and coaches didn't really panic either. You never got the sense from speaking with anybody in the organization that they thought Murray was going to struggle like this for much longer. It seemed like everybody was under the impression that it was just going to be a matter of time until he broke out. We spoke with Gary Harris last week before he was set to come back from injury. And he was asked about Jamal Murray's quote unquote shooting slump. And he brushed it off saying, I mean, this guy's not in a slump. Yeah. He's not shooting the ball. Well, but we still have a ton of confidence in him. I still feel like every time he puts it up, the ball is going to go in. And when the ball does go in, he can go off for 50 just like that. And sure enough, the game after Gary Harris makes those comments, Jamal Murray goes for 31 against the Spurs, 4-7 from three, and then uh, follows that up with that 46-point game against Phoenix Suns, 9 of 11 from three, and then has this game where he goes 6-12 of 12 from distance. So nobody ever lost the faith. And it's probably an important lesson to learn when you're dealing with somebody that's 21 years old, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people were freaking out a little bit too much just with how young Jamal Murray is. He had a really good season last year for somebody in his age 20 season. Just not that many guys in NBA history had, had scored as much as efficiently as he did. And look, to start this year, there's no way around it. He was struggling with kind of the finer point points of playing point guard him and Nicole Jokic didn't look like they're on the same page a lot of time earlier in the year his shots weren't going down like they normally did I think Jamal Murray has improved a lot over this course of the season as a playmaker the shots are finally starting to fall 
Jamal Murray is just a guy on one of my team too. I mean, yeah. I just think he's a winning player, man. I just, I just want that dude with me. It's a classic cliche, but he's a guy you want in your foxhole with you. Yeah, you want to go to battle with this guy. There's no way he was coming off the floor in this game, even with a tweaked ankle. There was no way he was coming off the floor uh, in that game against the Spurs when his ankle was really bothering him. When he went down in pain a couple times uh, with that bad ankle in that game. He's not coming off the floor in those situations, and that's just the type of guy you want to go to battle with, type of guy you want to go to war with. In the midst of his slump, I kind of got the sense that it might have been getting to him a little bit. He seemed to lack a little confidence from time to time. He seemed to be passing up shots from time to time. And after that game in San Antonio... I mean, this is how, uh, I guess this is how methodical of a player Jamal Murray is. After that game in San Antonio where he goes 419 from the field, one of eight from three, Denver flies back that night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Jamal immediately goes to Nuggets practice court at 2 a.m., gets in a little shooting session. And really from there, and then Gary Harris has those comments the next morning, and then he goes out against the Spurs at home the next night and has 31. Something changed there, and uh, I hope he's on a good track now. Now, I'm sure there's going to be nights when he goes 1 of 4, 0 of 4, 1 of 5 from 3. Uh, but you feel like with a stretch like this, those nights are going to be few and far between. Yeah, I mean, one thing you can't question is Jamal Murray's commitment to the game and commitment to getting better. That was one of the things Michael Malone pointed out last night. He was asked, how is Murray sort of shooting his way out of, out of this slump? And he said that, Murray just puts hours and hours into the gym. Things yeah. things are going to go right for him eventually. A lot of coaches talk about guys that are just gym rats like Jamal Murray. And uh, one coach I heard has a rule where he'll lock the doors to the gym one day or not like one day during the week. But if a team has played six games in 10 days or something and they want everybody to just get off their feet for a day. And this is an NBA coach, but he'll lock the doors to the practice gym and not let anybody go in there. And some guys will still find a way around it, though. And I have a feeling Jamal Murray would be one of those guys who would find a way around that, too. Let's hit a break real quick. We got a lot more to get to from this game. Jamal Murray's performance overshadowed a great game from Nikola Jokic, so we'll talk about that. Gary Harris showed a lot in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if he's back in the starting lineup soon. Same with Paul Millsap. We'll be right back. This podcast is presented by InWeGo, the subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only 39 bucks per month with no additional cost or fees. You heard that right. As many events as you can fit into your schedule for only $39 per month. Brandon Spano's here, and he's going to tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, guys, this year alone, I've been to Avalanche games, Nuggets games, Rockies games, Rapids games, Buffs games. I've been to concerts, uh, beer tastings, food festivals. I even went to a few comedy shows, so it's literally changed my life. <laughs> if it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. And here's where it gets good. We've partnered with InWeGo to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to InWeGo.com BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right, all the events you can handle for less than $20 for your first month. Try it and fall in love with it like we did here at BSN Denver. Go to inwego.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. 
Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here on a Friday afternoon, sending you off into your weekend with a fifth podcast in five days. A couple more notes on Jamal Murray's night before we move on here. 34 second half points, like I said. The underrated part about that, I think, is he only did it in 22 minutes. Um, he didn't even play the full second half to get those 34 second half points. He did it on 12 of 20 shooting after just uh, two points in the first half. A memorable, memorable night from Jamal Murray. Here's what I liked about how Denver played in the fourth quarter. They kept finding him. We were talking about that play that was circulating on Twitter before, but I felt like Denver did a great job of finding him late in the fourth quarter. And every time Jamal's gone off like this, the two 40-point games he's had this year against Boston and Phoenix, he's done that same thing. But, I mean, what does it say about him and the confidence the Nuggets have in him that even when he's tired, and he is feeling it, but on one leg, they're still running all these plays for him? Yeah, I mean, that was just a gorgeous play design, by the way. I, I retweeted it this morning. I think Steve Jones sent it out on Twitter. I mean, just a brilliant draw up from Michael Malone to get Murray a wide open three when he was cooking. I think that's true of the Nuggets in general. If somebody has the hot hand, they're just going to get that guy the ball. I mean, I think Nicole Jokic certainly has a sense of this guy's feeling it like we need to feed him. And I think when Nicole Jokic is feeling it, then he expects to be fed too. So I think that's something you see for, from the Nuggets, you know, top to bottom. And late in games, the Nuggets are developing into one of the best clutch teams in the league this year. When the scoring margin is within five points with five minutes or less remaining, they were in another one of those situations last night against the Kings. Uh, they go six of eight in the last five minutes of that game, score 17 points, and outscore the Kings 17 to seven, you know, over the last five minutes of this game. And they're two closers right now Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic. Here's a stat for you since December 1st. Jamal Murray leads the league in clutch plus minus when the score is within five points with five minutes or less remaining. Uh, he's a plus 40 in those situations. Nikola Jokic is second in the league since December 1st in clutch plus minus at plus 36. And on the season, the Nuggets have the most clutch wins in the league, 17. Last year, they only had 22. The growth that this team has showed late in games is a huge storyline this year. I don't know, maybe behind how good the defense has been. The defense hasn't been great as of late, but still uh, pretty much a top 10 defense the whole year. The bench play and how good they are late in games. I mean, are those your top three storylines possibly? Oof. Just from a team perspective, maybe? Yeah, I mean... Late in games, they, they were struggling in the early part of the year. I go back to that, that Lakers game on national TV, mm -hmm. the very par early part of the season when they just kind of melted down. They were turning the ball over a ton late in close games, too. They've done a much better job of, of just generating clean looks. I do think one reason why, and I think like late game situations, some of it really is just due to randomness, but I do think one reason why Nuggets have been better is the Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic two-man game has really been working for them. Um, they've leaned on it in in tight, critical situations. Jamal Murray, I think, has done a much better job as the year has gone on of, of just finding Jokic on that role. And once you get Jokic the ball in the middle of the floor, it's pretty much just death for the defense. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that in the years to come, the Murray-Jokic two-man game is kind of going to be the Nuggets' bread and butter when they really, really need a bucket, too. Right. 
those that's who the ball is going to be in the hands of at the end of games. It's going to be Jamal Murray initiating, just like we saw last night, that final three of the game where uh, Jamal comes up and Nicole Jokic sends that screen at the top of the key for him. That's going to be the Nuggets offense late in games, you have a feeling. Sometimes it's going to be Nicole Jokic taking that shot. A lot of times it's going to be Jamal Murray taking that shot, though, going forward. Yeah, and there was a play in the fourth quarter, too, where it was a, a Murray-Jokic pick and roll, and, and Jokic set up on the the pick like four different times, mm-hmm. like just searching for that right angle. We talked about that after that Memphis game where Connelly and Gasol are so good at that. They'll just rescreen and rescreen and rescreen and, until they get a look they like. I think Jokic and Murray can uh, take some of that in their games, too. Right. What do you think of Nikola Jokic's night? Like I said a couple minutes ago, kind of overshadowed by Murray, but still a huge night for him. 26 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, efficient, 10 of 18 from the field. I thought he was pretty aggressive. What do you think of his game? A coast-to-coast dunk. You're right. That might have been the highlight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was hilarious, man. Yeah, it was. And uh, adding to my lead in dunks versus triple-doubles, feeling pretty good if he's going to be whooping out coast-to-coast dunks uh, for the rest of the season. I should take that one. Yeah, it was like it was like watching a minivan just barreling down the highway or something like that. That was really impressive. And then the play, too, where the ball got stuck in the very tippy top of the backboard and the Kings ball boy wasn't tall enough to reach it with, like, a stick. So they just gave the stick to Jokic, right. and then he knocks it down and flexes to the camera afterwards. That was pretty funny. Willie Cauley-Stein, really no chance of guarding Nicole Jokic in this game, which is something we both thought on Wednesday's show that Denver would be able to take an advantage of. I mean, the matchup data shows Jokic was 6-13 of 13 against Cauley-Stein, guarded him on 50 possessions, uh, but you know, he really didn't give Nikola Jokic much trouble. And I liked how aggressive he was, really throughout most of the game on the block. I also liked how he was taking a lot of threes in this game. I know he hasn't been shooting the ball well from three-point range, but... Like it came around with Murray, I definitely believe it's going to come around with Nikola Jokic. And the fact that Denver could lower his minutes slightly in this game, he only played 32, whereas in his last couple of games, his minutes had been way up there with Mason Plumlee getting in foul trouble and with Paul Millsap working his way back. He played 34 against the Knicks, 38 against Phoenix, 37 against the Spurs. 30 to 33 is a much better range for him. And I think that's going to give you better play from him on both ends of the floor. Uh, so I thought that was an encouraging sign, too. How is this dude seventh in all-star voting for Western Conference frontcourt players? Right. I mean, how is he behind Steven Adams? Come on. Yeah. I mean, I know it's just kind of a popularity contest, which is kind of stupid. But, I mean, if Jokic isn't an all-star this year, I'm hanging it up. I don't know. He'll be an all-star this year. Okay. I, the coaches are not short-sighted enough. If it was up to the fans, I'd be very worried for sure yeah but the fact that the coaches and uh, I think he'll get some recognition from the players even though that's not what's going to decide the reserves the reserves are picked solely by the coaches in the western conference the fans or the players don't have any say in the reserves they just have a say in the starters I would be one that would say we should outlaw fan voting screw it why do we need fan voting but I mean, I can understand why the NBA does it. It's good to get the fans involved. But I do like how they changed the weighted system 
two years ago when Zaza Pachulia was leading <laughs> all-star voting by miles. The whole Republic of Georgia was voting him into that game. Uh, but they've tweaked it so things like that can't happen. Yeah, Come on, Serbia. Step up a little bit. <laughs> Serbia's got to step up its game. Mom, we know how many people listen to this podcast in Serbia. You guys should p- get on your game. They actually talked about this on Brian Windhorse podcast, but I'm sure there are teams out there that have developed some type of program you know, within their in-house computers to fudge a couple votes to their guy. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. There's, there's definitely some manipulating the numbers, I think, going on. I, I think you could look down south at uh, your Dallas Mavericks for that. Yeah, Mark Cuban probably knows a couple of guys. Mark Cuban probably wants to get Luka Doncic in the game this year, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been good PR for them this year after um, you know not a, not a great summer and yeah. early parts of the season. So, so another big storyline in this game for me was that it seems like Denver's two injured starters who are back right now, Paul Millsap and Gary Harris, are on the cusp of returning to the starting lineup. Millsap goes for 10 points and six rebounds in 22 minutes. I'm not sure about this. I was not out in the game at the game in Sacramento, but I'm guessing he's under a minute restriction. I don't see any other reason why he would only play 22 minutes. Gary Harris gets 31 minutes for 10 shooting. I thought he looked great. When do you expect these guys to return to the starting lineup? Yeah, the Millsap minutes restriction thing is thing is interesting. I, I kind of expected him to play more than the 22 minutes he was in there against the Kings. I mean, maybe they're just really being cautious with them, which, you know, there's there's no harm in that. They've got a lot of good front court players. But, I mean, Gary Harris certainly looked like he was in a rhythm to me. He was in there for 31 minutes. That That's, a pretty, I think, a decent indicator that he'll be in the starting lineup next game. Mm-hmm. Gary popped, like, almost immediately, too. He hit those two threes in the first quarter. He hit that and one. He was moving around and attacking the basket confidently like you normally see from Gary Harris. So, yeah, I would expect Gary to be in their next game. I mean, maybe Paul. I don't I don't know how cautious they're trying to be with him, but I'd say, you know, two games from now, Nuggets probably have four of the starters they envisioned opening night. Right, and they've played those guys for spurts here and there over the past two games. The um, I was surprised that Gary looked this good, to be honest. He looked really rusty, as expected, in that game against the Knicks, but looked on the verge of finding his rhythm here. Yeah, I wonder if going back down to sea level helps at all. True. True. You know, it might. That was one of the reasons why Paul wanted to come back in Phoenix because it was at sea level, whereas, you know, coming back in Denver would be coming back at a mile high. Um, But yeah, I would guess in the next couple of games, I mean, based on these minutes, I would think Gary Harris is closer to returning to the starting lineup with Paul Millsap. Maybe Gary gets back for this game Saturday against Charlotte, starting at the two, which would... I'm guessing move Tory Craig to the bench, although they are playing Kemba Walker, and we know how Michael Malone likes to match up Tory Craig on point guards. Yeah, I mean that's a question. If they made that Harris for Craig swap, then it, it'd probably be Gary if it having to check Kemba, right? And that's a tough assignment for a guy in his third game back. Yeah, so maybe you move a Wancho to the bench. Ooh, maybe you move a Plumlee to the bench. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens on Saturday. I don't have a very good track record of predicting Michael <laughs> Mullen's lineup. So. Yeah. Um, man, that's a tough one. That's tough. Anyways, I would, like I said, I guess we see Gary Harris in the starting lineup. Maybe Paul Millsap doesn't return until the Houston game next week. 
how big of a showdown is that going to be? I think that might be if we know that the Nuggets are – well, we know they're for real. If they go into Houston and take down Harden on Monday, my God. Harden hit 10 threes off the dribble in that game against Golden State last night. 10. Yeah. How, like, how do you do that? Uh, if you're James Harden, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't. You don't even try. You don't even think about it. But when you're James Harden, it's um, – I mean, it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. That still photo of Harden just like menacingly glaring at Draymond Green while he was on the ground right after hitting that game winner was incredible. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was something else. That guy's special. Is he your top candidate leader in the clubhouse for MVP yet, or you're still on Giannis? I think he surpassed Giannis. I got okay. Harden, Giannis, Jokic. How about that for a one, two, three? I've got Giannis first still. Oh, okay. Harden Jokic. I don't know, man. This is like some 06 Kobe-ish from from Harden these last 15 games or so. It is, but he's got to do it for as long as Giannis has done it. You know, Giannis has done it for the whole year. Harden kind of got out of the gate slow. I think Harden's averaging like four or five more points than the second closest leading score. Like the gap isn't even close between him and Curry. He's blowing his numbers even from last year out of the water. Uh, I mean, it's just insane. Like he's been so good that I feel like we haven't even really talked about Chris Paul. Who's just still not playing? Like, what's up with Chris Paul? Chris Paul is washed. Chris Paul is the definition of washed, man. If I'm the Rockets, I don't even know if I try to bring him back before the playoffs, to be honest. (laughs) I might just try to sit him the rest of the season. Because you know if you got him out there, if you bring him out there for... If you try to play him for like a 10, 15-game stretch, he's probably going to get hurt again. He's going to hurt a hamstring again. That's such a heavy load to to place on Harden for the it rest is. of the regular season, though. It is. But I don't know if I'd risk it with uh, Chris Paul. I don't know. We'll see what the Rockets do. I told you guys about this two weeks ago. If I'm the Nuggets, the Rockets are the only team I'm really terrified of playing in the first round. I think everybody else Denver can match up well with. Yes, even Golden State, even Oklahoma City. I would still be terrified of the Rockets in the first round. I said that two weeks ago when they were in the eighth spot, just kind of catching this wave. And now that they've climbed the Western Conference, I I feel even more solid about that. Denver does still not want any part of them. But I'm excited to see what happens on Monday. It's a huge test for the Nuggets. Let's hit another break real quick. We've got some more notes to catch up on from this game. We'll be right back here on the BSN Nuggets podcast. When it comes to quality craft beer, there is no place quite like Colorado. And Colorado Keg House embraces the true essence of that, providing 75 Colorado craft beers on tap. The most unique thing about Colorado Keg House is how many beers they have on tap. I mean, there's simply a beer for everyone. They change them out regularly, and it's, it's great Colorado craft beer. I've been going there for about two years now, and I'm never disappointed. That was Lindsay, and like she mentioned, Colorado Keg House rotates their inventory each week to bring you new flavors. They also offer a great selection of Colorado wines and spirits, so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy any sport you wish on one of their 27 TVs. My favorite thing about Colorado Cake House is the atmosphere. You can bring whatever food that you want to eat in there, and they have a million TVs, it feels like. It's not a bad seat in the house, and they've got extremely comfy couches that you can sit on and hang out with your friends and just kick back. It's, it's a great atmosphere. If you're a Colorado beer lover and you haven't checked out Colorado Keg House in Broomfield, do yourself a favor and head over there today. And don't forget to mention BSN to receive 20% off your order. 
Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here on a Friday. What a win it was for Denver last night. 117-113 over the Kings. Denver's already got 10 wins on the road. They didn't get their 10th road win last year until like March. Uh, 25-11, it's the best start in franchise history. Yeah, I mean, 25 wins already on January 4th. Are you, are mm. you kidding me? I, I don't think they got their 25th win until the very end of January yep. last year. Yep. I mean, this team should probably win somewhere in the mid-50s game-wise. Oof. I mean, that's that's the pace they're on right now. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's between somewhere 50 and 55, but yeah. 55 is, is very much in play. It is. It's very much in play right now. And you love how humble Denver's staying through it. And Michael Malone sets the tone with that, right? Yeah, there's not going to be any big celebrations until I think they clinch a playoff spot. I kind of want to see a little bit of a celebration if they beat Houston, man. (laughs) Houston has been such a mental hurdle for this team over the last couple seasons. I think Denver has lost something like eight straight or seven straight against the Rockets. If they beat Houston, hey, let's let's throw some water around in that away locker room, all right? Yeah, I'm looking at cleaning the glasses, like, based on the Nuggets' point differential. If you throw out garbage time, what's their expected win-loss? They got them for 54 wins. Mm. That seems about right. Is that the—would that be the top seed in the West? Uh, no, they got OKC and Golden State ahead of Denver, so they okay, got them with the three seed. Interesting. So— it's funny because we keep wondering when's it going to taper off? When are they going to go through their bumps and bruises? And they've done that at times this year when they lost four straight at the beginning of the year after going nine and one. They've had some rough outings here and there. I, I thought I still think they might go through a couple more bumps and bruises as they reintegrate everybody back into this rotation and. Obviously, Will Barton is the one guy who's not yet on the floor. I expect him to come back within this next week, maybe within these next couple of games. How do you see this rotation sorting itself out here when everybody does get back? We've seen some ramifications of it already. Less minutes for Monte Morris, less minutes for Trey Lyles, less minutes for Wancho. Does somebody like Trey Lyles get cut out of this thing completely? once Will Barton gets back and maybe even before then with how he's been playing? I mean, I I think it's a possibility. I I don't think that Monte Malik or Mason Plumlee, they're not going anywhere. Those are going to be guys off the bench for this team throughout the rest of the regular season. They've earned that. Um, And then if you look at inserting Will Barton back in the starting lineup for Wancho, you know, it might come down to Wancho and Trey Lyles for sort of those backup minutes at, at the four and, I don't think there's any question that Wancho deserves those minutes. He's just played better than Lyles this year. Yeah, that's an easy choice for me. If you're deciding between who to give those backup four minutes to, Wancho or Trey Lyles, I'm not sure Trey gives you anything that Wancho does not, right? Wancho's the better shooter. Wancho's the better rebounder. They're probably about equal defenders. Um, Does Trey give you anything that Wancho does? Wancho just seems like the better player right now. Yeah, I mean, he is. He's a better shooter, and he just plays harder, I think. Right. I mean, I guess the only thing is if like you're looking for somebody on a bench unit to, to throw the ball to when the shot clock's winding down to manufacture a shot, I, I guess Lyles would be better, but, I mean, he just hasn't scored the ball that well this year. Yeah, that's a good point. In theory, Lyles is probably the better ISO guy who you can throw the ball to on the block on a mismatch and theoretically get a bucket, but 
He hasn't been able to do that this year. Monte Morris, I don't think, is going anywhere in the rotation, despite the fact that these four games, his last four games, have probably been his worst four games of the season, maybe. I mean, he is just 5-4-26 over his last four games. Didn't hand out any assists in this win over the Kings. The last time that happened was in the second game of the season. So that was a little bit of a peek into how much Monte Morris struggled. He only played 11 minutes. Part of that was because Jamal Murray played 37 and played all but two minutes in that second half. I don't think he's going anywhere. Malik Beasley, 25 minutes for him. I think that's a pretty good sign that he's still going to get, I'd say, at least 15 minutes uh, when everybody gets healthy and definitely probably at least 20 minutes before Will Barton gets back. But... I could see Denver, once Will Barton gets back, they have their five starters supplanted. Uh, You have a bench unit of Wancho, of Mason Plumlee, who of course will move back to the bench and who will also be playing around 20 minutes a night, I'm guessing. Monte, Malik Beasley, and uh, I would think Torrey Craig still gets a couple minutes here and there if they need him. Maybe he's like an in-case-of-emergency guy. Yeah, I mean... There's going to be too many good guys, and I, I guess that's a good problem to have, but it's going to be interesting to see how Michael Ballone, you know, tries to keep everybody happy. Here's what I hope happens when Denver gets healthy. I hope the Nuggets still rely on their depth because I know there's this notion that a lot of good teams in the league, they're only going to go eight or nine deep, and especially when you get into the playoffs, you cut your rotation down to seven or eight guys. Strength is a big factor for this team. It's a key reason why they're really good, uh, the depth on this team. And, and the fact that this bench has been so good this season, it's a storyline as to why the Nuggets have been so good this year. And I do hope Denver keeps relying on their depth, A, because that bench unit has been so good, but B, keep these minutes down for these starters. There's no reason that Paul Millsap needs to be playing more than 30 minutes a night. There's no reason that Gary Harris needs to be playing more than 34, 35 minutes a night. Uh, same goes for Jamal Murray. And uh, same goes for Nikola Jokic, definitely. If Jokic can play around 30 minutes a night and you can win games, that's probably optimal. So the more Denver relies on its depth, the better, I believe. It was so funny seeing like images of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic both in the frame as during down the stretch of that game. Nikola Jokic just looks so winded. like his, oh, yeah. his tongue was like hanging out of his mouth like he was a dog or something like that. And Jamal Murray still... like kind of had that bounce it was uh, mm-hmm. I think athletes on different conditioning levels <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh Nicole Jokic just dominates this league looking like he does it's an art yeah I mean he, he might be the best player in the league if he just gets jacked <laughs> it's funny I sent this video to uh to you and a couple other guys but it was some highlights in Nicole Jokic back when he played for Megalex in Serbia he was so quick back then Maybe a little bit of it was how slow everybody else was. It was, you know, in, in Europe, it's not the NBA caliber athlete. But, man, he looked so quick back then, bringing the ball up the floor and whatnot. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the metabolism has already slowed for him. I, I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's working for him, though. Anything else before we get out of here? Jokic going to the flex. Is that right. like his new celebration? He's gone to it twice now. Once after, what was the first one after? Uh, the Suns game when he hit like a key shot down the down the stretch. Right. 
once in the Suns game, once after getting the ball down from where it was stuck above the basket. Yeah. What do you think about like the baby flex? Um, no. <laughs> I kind of love it. So Jokic. Oh man. All right. I mean, if he wants to go for it, Jamal Murray's more got power the to him. Jamal Murray's got the blue arrow. Nicole Jokic has the half-hearted flex. It's not bad. Not bad. It fits both them pretty well. All right. Let's get out of here. Thanks for listening, guys. Like I mentioned before, five podcasts this week, a big week for us. We'll have five more next week. Nuggets host the Charlotte Hornets on Saturday, a little matinee game. They should take care of business then, and then a difficult road trip in Houston, and then a back-to-back in Miami. We'll see how Denver does. That game in Houston is going to be a big one, a huge measuring stick game for probably the two teams who are playing at the highest level in the league right now. We'll see how Denver does. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back with another episode on Monday. Talk to you then. Dr. Rick and his team at Belmar Chiropractic focus on getting to the root cause of your problem instead of chasing symptoms. The results have been like above and beyond anything I could have ever expected. My pain is completely gone, full of energy, even throughout my entire pregnancy. He was able to adjust me and it sounds crazy to say, but like no back pain throughout my whole pregnancy. That was just really amazing. It's better than anything I could have expected for sure. That was Caitlin. Like her, many people who had looked everywhere and tried everything finally found relief and healing at Belmar Chiropractic. It makes you feel really comfortable because he always tells you what he's doing before he actually does it. So I always felt really, really comfortable and they're all so warm and welcoming as well, which is always great. Dr. Rick can help decrease anxiety and depression, reduce stress, improve mental focus and clarity, provide better quality of sleep, boost your immune system, and so much more. He's definitely the most knowledgeable chiropractor I've ever been to. And I actually have recommended him to many, many of my friends and coworkers. Give Belmar Chiropractic a call today at 303-233-1236.